yeah. Say hello to the bad guy. Bad guy. The good guy coming last place. place. Smell that dope when I pass by. by. I let my money at a fast pace. Alright, welcome to Say Hello to the Bad Guy. I'm your host, Locke, and this is the podcast where we drink, smoke, and bullshit about the life of a historic criminal. Now we're talking outlaws and gangsters. We're not going to cover too many serial killers. That's just a little bit dark for me, and this ain't no true crime podcast. Honestly, you can't call this a history podcast, because I'm no historian. I'm just a history fan that does some research and bullshits about it with his friends. So speaking of my friends, let me introduce you to my co-host. First with us today, we got Damien back. What up, though? And then also with us, we got Dan. Hey, what's happening? Before we get into our beers, Dan, who's like officially becoming like my backup whiskey guy, brought <laughs> us a uh, drink to share. You want to tell us what you got here? Well, the reason why I always bring some uh, some whiskeys is because you got a better palate than me, so you're sort of my <laughs> guinea pig. Like, I run it back to you. Like, man, what do you think, Locke? So, uh... Today, I brought some beer barrel bourbon. It's from uh, New Holland, which is a brewery here in Michigan that I just found out makes a lot of liquor. They make rum, gin, like a bunch of shit. And this is basically, it's bourbon that they put in beer barrels. It's ironic because we spend so much time drinking beers that are put into bourbon barrels that I think it's fair that, you know, rotate it. But uh, yeah, that's New Holland here in Michigan, which we already proclaimed on the show has like the stouts down. Yeah, they got the poet. Yep, and uh, the dragon's milk. Oh yeah, which dragon's is their milk. strong. That's like the eleven point nine, whatever it is. Yeah, that one. That's a high one. Yeah. That's why it's only in a four pack because that's <laughs> all you need. That I mean that one's good. It's right up there with uh, the KPS with me. Oh yeah, definitely. What'd you think of it? Uh, it's definitely light, which I'm surprised because it's actually got a pretty good color to it, but it's got kind of a blonde flavor to it to yeah. me. You know, it's definitely a light. It's nice. It's really nice for a hot day like this. If you're going to do a whiskey, it's definitely, I'd definitely say go ahead and do something like this one. Yeah, it's not a very overwhelming sort of thing. Yeah, it's a uh, 40% by the way, or 80 proof. But beer wise, would you bring the drink for your beer today? Well, I didn't know that uh, Damien would be here again, but he was going to get a shout out anyways, because I believe the last time we were here, well, you can't just drink that in front of me and act like I'm not going to mention that you're drinking out of a horn. Yeah. To quote Ragnar's last words, tonight we shall drink ale from curved horns. All right. Well, we're going to get back to that in a second. But uh, <laughs> now the last time we were we were here, he mentioned some blueberry lemonade shandy because i drank uh a blueberry maple stout and this is from sagatuck brewing the same one that made the maple stout and it is good as hell some blueberry lemonade shandy it's a perfect little summertime beer well and it finally got finally hit the 80s this week so it's about uh shandy time too yeah it definitely got hot and thick real fast i'll end up going with a short screw sticky icky icky first time for this one for me it's nice it's light it's definitely time to put the heavy beers up you know it's sundress season you got to go with the light <laughs> beers it's ironic that uh i brought this one because damien brought it up last time we were here and then he brought a beer that made its debut like way back in the beginning of the show. Like that was one of the first beers that I brought. Nice. You guys got so beer weird. synergy. Yep. <laughs> I, I knew there was an automatic connection <laughs> on the last show. Drink serendipity. <laughs> You're on the D and D show now, baby. Mm-hmm. It's that uh that military fucking synergy, yep. man. There you, you go. Did uh, we just become best friends? <laughs> Do we need luck? 
Hell yeah, no. He does, he What's does, going he on? does the heavy oh, lifting, yeah, so yeah. I mean, I guess Hang so. out with your horn locker. What's going on with you, Damon? What's up? At some point, somebody's going to have to read these facts, okay? Yeah. Look, you guys might pick out good beers and have all kinds of jokes, but who's going to do this fucking research? The man with the horn, that's him. <laughs> yeah, so uh, my son actually got me this curved horn, and it was a Christmas present that he bought me and forgot about and he actually came to bring it to me like ah you know i don't know i forgot to give you i don't know if you like it and it's like one of my favorite things i've ever been given nice. i haven't stopped drinking out of it since now, he gave it to me how do you set that thing down i have a base oh all right it has a special to. stand all right put horn back in ducking station well and if i'm outside i got this little collar that it goes on where you can hang it around your neck and so it... you have a horse feeder <laughs> yes i do you have an alcoholic horn horse hey, I wouldn't even want the stand. I'd have the fucking collar on all the time. <laughs> hey, hey, horn a beer around my neck? I get the gut to move just right. I ain't even got to lean my head back. I just tilt the beer right in with a breath. Man, I would I would just throw a crazy straw in the mix. I don't even have to look down. There I'm you just go. sipping all day out that motherfucker. Out of my horn, I'm drinking uh, Coonhead Brewing Company. White Devil. It's uh an Imperial White Ale. It's pretty good. It's nine nine percent. But yeah, it's it's good. It's uh, apparently a German brewery right in Detroit that's knocking out nine percent beers and shit. Nice. But Word. see, we got to get back to that horn for a quick second because I've got to know where he got that because that is the perfect barbecue accessory. You know, you got a spatula in one hand, you got the fork in the other hand. With that, you tie that around your neck. You're golden. You don't have to have that third hand to hold the beer, and you don't got your beer sitting on the grill getting hot. That is nice, man. I like. Hey, that's real classy right there. <laughs> What's funny is, so it's like my favorite thing ever, and I don't stop using it. And I was telling my wife how much I fucking love it and how excited I am, and she said, "That's funny because when he bought it for you, I said, why the fuck would you get him that? <laughs> it's like she doesn't know you at all, right?" Because it's that, the dopest thing ever. You know, that that sounds like a little shade being thrown, man. Like, you know what? You're that's like, actually a great Father's Day gift. Like, How he might are you be... hitting home runs with that? Where's my Mother's Day gift to match that? <laughs> so that's my baby boy. Get off my shit, bitch. <laughs> so before we get started, we got to make sure we take the time to thank Sixpo Swaino for letting us use his music in the intro. We also got to thank Cancer for letting us use his music in the mid-roll. We got away from saying it, but I always mean it, so support local artists. We did used to say it all the time when we stopped, so yeah, support local artists. It sort of moved breweries. its way into just the breweries, because right. we usually all do local ones. Where's a short sprue from? Uh, That's a local it's, one, it, it's, it? a, it's a local one, too. It's from Elk Rapids, Michigan. All right, so yeah, we are all Michigan ones. Actually, we're quadruple Michigan because of uh, the New Holland, the yep. whiskey. Yes. Go back to the artists. Yes. Support, support them as well. Support local artists. See, even when we go back to support local <laughs> artists, like, yeah, let's let's water that down a little bit. No, but you know what? That's some real shit to say because I actually own two pieces of art from Detroit artists uh, I actually went to school with and that. And that is something that you really need to do because, like, I also try to do things in wherever I live, whether it was Lincoln Park, Rue, Southwest Detroit. It's it's real important to support your neighborhood because that's part of your tax base. That's part of your living space, man. You got to right. do it. You got well, to. 
And, uh, you know, not that it's art, but we're trying, we're creating content here. We appreciate the support. You know what I mean? So, sure. it, it, so it always goes a long way. And those are both people that put some hard work into something and let us use it when there was nothing in it for right. us. So I was recently looking at the number we just had last week, our biggest uh, week in downloads ever. And I checked it at one point when we were new. We had a week where we had 36 downloads. Okay. So to go from 36 downloads in a week to thousands of downloads in a week. and That's amazing, man. And that's, that's, that's really cool. Yeah. And like I said, but when we were at 36 downloads a week, they were still like, yeah, you can use it. I don't care. You know what I mean? So Yeah, that that's love being shown right back right there. So we appreciate the support. So, you know, put it back out there into the world. For sure. So we'll go ahead and get started. And the bad guy we're covering today is John Willis. This ain't negotiation time. This is Scarface, final scene, fucking bazookas under each arm. Say hello to my little friend. Oh, Jay Willie. So we got John Willis, a.k.a. Bot Guy, a.k.a. White Ghost, a.k.a. White Devil John. This is so this is why you have a white white ale. Yeah. We're with the White Devil John, so you have White Devil beer. That is why I picked it out. I was standing in front of the uh, beer cooler, and I seen White Devil <laughs> Imperial Ale, and I knew we were covering today. I said, oh, yeah, I'm getting that, because I'm actually drinking half-hearted the rest okay. of the day. <laughs> but I just wanted to have that one up front to talk like, about. Like, look, I had a cool thing just to start out with. So kind of to sum up the, uh, you know, the, the guy, a.k.a., this is actually going to be, this will be the last episode of our Chinatown Crime Lords series. Okay. But, you know, when you look at the climate, you know, the current climate of the world today, I figured what's a more fitting way to wrap up, you know, the Chinatown Crime Lords and Asian Polynesian Month. Than with, with the white the, guy. Yeah, with a little cultural appropriation, you know what I mean? That's the American way to do it. This is Tom Cruise in The Last Samurai. Matt um, Damon in The Great Wall. Pick other white guy in Asian film. The only one to get away with it is Kurt Russell. You ain't taking him down. John Wayne. John Wayne Genghis Khan, man. Did, did he get away with it, though? <laughs> right. Everybody on that movie set got cancer and died. I, I think it kind of worked itself out. I think John Wayne kicked cancer's ass, didn't he? I don't know. He might have. I think he did. He was the only guy stretch. on that set that fucking <laughs> won and shit. Yeah, if you ever get a chance, though, look into that. Whatever there was the movie. I don't know the name of the movie, but john wayne played genghis khan in it and they filmed it in the desert they got it real cheap to use as a set because it was the desert where they did the uh atomic bomb testing nice (laughs) (laughs) yeah you go play over there you know we'll charge you 50 bucks a day and uh don't mind us we're just gonna be taking notes over here oddly enough after filming a movie in the site of an atomic explosion most of the people that were there got cancer yeah, radioactivity is a motherfucker. Well, you know, it's all karma for having John Wayne play fucking Genghis Khan. So Yeah, I've never heard of Yellowface. Or I've heard Genghis of Blackface Khan. and Brownface, but John Wayne as Genghis Khan. That's wild. <laughs> <laughs> John Willis was born May 11th, 1971 in Dorchester, Massachusetts to an Irish Catholic family. Reasonably okay, recent. So this is, this is, yeah, I was going to say this is kind of recent then. The 70s. His father was a violent, abusive drunk who worked as an enforcer for Irish gangsters. 
his dad got into some trouble and he fled the area, abandoned his family when John was three years old and he never returned, leaving him with his mom and he had a significantly older half-brother and a couple sisters. I got a feeling that the, the half-brother really uh, kind of steered him into where we're going with this story. As the eldest brother, I know I was a dick to my younger brother, <laughs> so I'm just imagining a half-older brother, he was a real <laughs> asshole. And uh, he's significantly older too. He's like twenty years older than him. Oh yeah, so it was like, come get your, come get your fucking kid. I'm not dealing with this kid. Like, what am I? What am I? His fucking stepdad? <laughs> Growing up, John was large for his size. He was chubby but athletic, and he was a talented hockey player. It was really close with his mom. John was a good kid, and he always promised to be nothing like his father. Like his father was violent when he was there, but he didn't remember most of it. He used to beat his mom, and he's like. No. Yeah, I'm not gonna hit. I'm not gonna hit women. I'm not gonna do drugs. I'm not gonna be drink. I'm not gonna drink. My dad was a fucking asshole, and I'm gonna be a better guy than that. Yeah, Something see, tells I'm, me that that changes or gradually. Yeah, like real quick because how the fuck are you a hockey player and you're not violent and not drinking? <laughs> I mean, I understand not hitting women. Yeah, okay, but no drinking, no violence. How the fuck was you playing hockey? He was one of the four. He was one of the dudes that zips around and doesn't doesn't check. He was the speedy guy. I don't think they had those in the 70s. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was to the Russian five. And he was described as a large, chubby, athletic kid. So I don't know how you do that. Unviolently. Yeah, I mean. Well, we'll jump right to it now. He always pledged he's going to be nothing like his father. But as good of a kid as he was, he had a hair trigger temper. Mm. And when he was in middle school, a kid stole his shoes. And John beat him with a chair to the point where he got arrested and uh, transferred to alternative school for troublemakers. Well, I mean, what else you can do? You stole your shoes. Well, damn, middle school? I'm thinking, what is that? Maybe, what, 10 to 13, somewhere yeah. around there? And you beat the shit out of somebody with a chair? <laughs> see, was... I remember fist fights in middle school, but beating motherfckers with chairs? Nah, see, he's going through puberty. <laughs> His body's changing. Hormones are happening. He's getting hair in funky places. Don't play with the shoes. That's what happens when you don't check people in hockey. You beat people in regular day, everyday life with chairs. <laughs> uh, his older brother would when... say he was into wrestling too. That was his shit. Comes in with the metal chair. <laughs> the metal chair. <laughs> so he had, he had a a real bad temper, and his brother, like I said, when he was so by the time John's fourteen, his brother's thirty four. They get in an argument one time, and John spits on him, and his brother pushes him down the stairs, and he tells him that he hopes he dies. So the whole family, like, they, the reactions are very called for. They don't overreact at all. That, hey, that's a broke family reaction. You know, I hope you fucking die. <laughs> I mean, I, hey, I, you know, spitting on somebody is some real disrespectful shit to get your ass whooped over, but wishing death, that's a, that's a little extreme. Well, that comment haunted John for the rest of his life because two days later, his brother passed away from a drug-related heart issue. So basically sounds like he did too much coke and had a heart attack. And John at 14 was like, fuck, my oh, bad. Jennifer's, do I have magic powers? See, yeah, that's what I was going to say. I'd have to think, yo. Am I, I rubber? shit on people? Let me, look, I wish for a million dollars right now. He's like Rob Schneider and Three Ninjas? <laughs> So when he was 14 year old, it was a rough year for him all the way around. First, his brother passed away and then his mother ended up losing both of her feet to diabetes mm. and his brother was dead. He had two stepsisters, but they were drug addicts too. So he was the sole caregiver. So he started skipping school to try to take care of his take mom, care and his help, mom help out and everything. 
And she was supporting the family by herself with a job working at a shoe store. You know, she was always a doting mom. He was a mama's boy, so he became like a doting caregiver. He's skipping school. She doesn't have a job no more. And then not too long later, she ends up passing away from a heart blockage, leaving John to raise himself. Now, how old were the sisters, did it say? No, but they were like in their, they're adults. So okay, they're so like they're, in, their they're 20s. Up in their 20s or something. So uh, yeah. he's like the baby of the family. Then. Right. So she obviously had a couple kids from like a previous marriage right. and then got with this guy and had John. And now he's got these way older brothers and uh dorchester lowell i don't know how much you know about like massachusetts but that area uh there's a a documentary called laws lives in lowell which is if you've ever seen the movie fighter it's with christian bale and mark Wahlberg. i think so where he plays his older brothers the drug addict or whatever that was in lowell massachusetts okay word um, so that's got to be rough on the kid already, man. You're the, you're the baby of the family and having to take care of everything. You know, you got these three older siblings that just ain't shit. The one sit there, you wish death on him. He actually dies two days later. Your sisters are fucking drug addicts and you're having to take care of your mom that has diabetes and lost her feet. Yeah, that's, that's a lot of pressure on that pipe, man. On a 14-year-old? Yeah, that's a well, lot. Dude, in all honesty, his mom dies the bit. Like, get the fuck out of there now. You got nothing to lose. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that, that, that's his You got to take man. care of your older fucking crackhead siblings. Fuck that. Not wanting to go into the system, he stays in the family home because it was in his brother's name. And the CPS believed he was being taken care of by his older sisters. But they were both addicts, and they basically just moved out and never came and checked on him. So he was just 14 years old, raising himself in his brother's old apartment. So he was was Kevin McAllister? (laughs) I made my family disappear. Wait, so okay, CPS comes in. You're You're living in your dead brother's house, but your older sisters are taking care of you. Okay, cool. Not, where are your older sisters? We need to speak with your older sisters. CPS was real loose in the 70s. They well, just showed this up. Was hey, he's got a house, so there's lights, there's water, there's some food in the cabinet. Yeah, he's good. He's in a school for bad kids. What, <laughs> what could go wrong? It seems to it seems strange. Well, well I, I mean, this was the 70s. I mean, even parents like didn't give like, have you seen Johnny today? No, I think I saw him yesterday. He's probably on his bike. That 70s, is, that is true, though. Fuck. That is true. You know, hey, it was be home before your lights came on, yeah. and you you were out all day doing your thing. And if this was a shitty part of town, I mean, CPS ain't doing wellness checks on that. <laughs> well, and that's what I was going to say. I think that's another thing that's consistent. You can see he's in Dorchester. He's in a rough neighborhood. You know what I mean? So they're kind of like, I don't know, you cool over there? And he's like, yeah, I'm all right. They're like, all right, cool. Well, should you a call next year? That's exactly how the CPS call went. <laughs> so he really struggled to support himself because, you know, he's a child. <laughs> and, um, that happened. He was too proud for handouts. He wouldn't take money from any people. He would hang out with his friends a lot and go over to their house to eat and stuff. So most of his eating was done by hanging out with his buddies and he'd go okay. grub at their house and come home. But he wouldn't ask for money. So like in the winter, he would never have heat or anything. So like... He used to have to set up blankets over a chairs that he could put by an oven to try and keep them warm, like through the winter, so yeah, that he wouldn't freeze. So, so carbon he, monoxide poisoning wasn't a thing in the seventies. <laughs> oh, I'm sure it was. No, motherfucker, I, hey, kids was tougher back in the day. <laughs> no, I like he goes over other people's house. They're making forts for fun. He's like, no, I do this shit for survival. <laughs> making forts for a gate, like they go over there. He's like, nah, these walls are weak. You gotta. <laughs> Move these couch cushions that way. It holds it up like, damn. Hey, look, bring them four dining room yeah. table chairs in here. I'm going to show you how to fortify this motherfucker. I'm going to show you how to make a blanket for it, motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. 
angry and alone, he decided, if nothing else, I'll never be messed with again in this poor neighborhood. So he just begins to focus on fitness and weightlifting. He starts getting into work an hour all the time, and it's weird because he never had no money, but somehow he starts finding, he finds access to cheap steroids. I thought you were going to say a cheap gym. That went completely left. <laughs> nope, find Not steroids. a cheap gym, cheap steroids. Yes. <laughs> I just can't believe this motherfucker's out here like a stray dog with his friend's house. He just comes over to eat, then wanders back home, has to make fucking blanket forts for heat, and he's like, no, I really got to work on my pecs. I really got to step my bicep game up. That's the issue. That's my problem, is I'm skipping leg day. He was described as rapidly going from a chubby kid to a monster. By the time he was 16, he was so big that he was able to lie about his age and pass for 18 and got a job as bouncer, a bouncer working local clubs. Yeah, well, he's eating the steroids. All his fat turned into muscle. He probably grew some chin hair, some chest hair. You know, hey. See, sometimes you have to sacrifice to invest in yourself. You know what I mean? <laughs> hey, you know, for that is true. a couple meals, now he's got that a job. True. If I get some muscle on this frame, I can find a living, man. This is Dorchester. There's money made to be made for a big Irish kid that can hey, fight. And that's the thing. Hey, you, you sit there, you get your size up, you can fight, you're strong. We will find you a job. <laughs> we will have, hey, look, see them railroad ties? Take one every five miles and just drop it down because you're a big son of a bitch and you can move one by yourself. Well, see, that's it. That's why he needs a job. He needs more blanket money because that <laughs> fort's got to expand. He can't fit in that small one-bedroom fort. He's got to build it up. Just to give you an idea of his size, I don't know how big he was at 16. I have a picture for later. But eventually, as he gets older, he's like 6'2", 250. That's big that's kid seriously for 70s, big, man. Sick boy. He's a big boy. I'm well, sure. uh, he's 18 now. We started at No, he's 71. 16. He's lying to say he's Oh, 18. he's lying to say. So uh, he was born in 71. So we're in the 80s now. Yeah, 87. Yeah, that's still a good-sized kid for the 80s, well, man. Yeah. It's a good-sized kid for now. <laughs> what are you talking about? Oh, you shouldn't matter. You see them now. They're 6'5", six, 6'7", six, mm. 280. I had kids when I was coaching football. You got to take a knee because I'm not breaking my <laughs> neck to look up to tell you what you're supposed to be doing, son. So he's really good at bouncing. He's so good that as as a 16-year-old lying about his age, he starts bouncing at one of the top clubs in the Charlestown, Boston area. At this time, Boston had the third largest Chinatown in the USA. Sorry to interrupt, but Damien really likes the whiskey. He's already on his second glass. Well, I mean, if we're... Thank you. Handing out refills. Oh, shit. I guess I'm the only one. I'm good. There. So at this time, Boston has the third largest Chinatown in the United States. I also think seen another thing that said fourth, but third or fourth. Either way, it's one of the bigger Chinatowns. We always, we know San Francisco and New York. Boston no, this, is a, this is important. You only get the medal if you're <laughs> third. And there was a big uh, Vietnamese influx into Boston. Uh, Mark Wahlberg is actually from Dorchester. I don't know how guys, familiar you guys are, but when he was a kid, he got in trouble for uh, yeah, beating, uh, up Asian uh, dude. beating up a Vietnamese guy and blinding him in the eye or something. Oh, shit. So this is around the same time. <laughs> As opposed to blinding him in the foot. Right. <laughs> but so there's such a huge Asian population that the club he worked at on Sundays, they ran a night that was unofficially known as Asian night. The club owners would tell John that all these well-dressed club goers, they're all gangsters. And he said, just steer clear of them. No matter what happens, you're the bouncer, work the door. But these guys are gangsters. Let them work this out on their own. Like, so, look, they're getting some shit. Let them be in their shit. Just leave them alone. That's amongst them. Right. So it's the boys that are back in town rule. If they go to fight, you better let them. <laughs> the boys are back in town. 
So one day he's working on uh, Asian night and he sees this big ass Korean dude, Mason beat the shit out of a Chinese guy so bad that he decides to get involved. He actually described the guy as looking like a Chinese Rod Stewart. <laughs> so, that wasn't in my notes, but I felt like it's important to mention. Did he say the guy that beat the shit out of the other guy looked like an Asian Rod Stewart? It was the guy that got beat up looked like an Asian Rod Stewart. Yes. Okay, because I'm like, that's not a big guy. Yeah. <laughs> so, so he's at work bouncing, and he sees a big-ass Korean dude beating the shit out of a little Chinese Rod Stewart. Okay, guy. okay. I just wanted to clarify, because I'm like, Rod Stewart, that's not a big guy. <laughs> so and you know he's he's a guy that doesn't like bullies anyways you know right. he's already got a problem with people fucking with little people you know what i mean sure, he's been fucked with since yeah. he was a kid and he was a huge rod stewart fan <laughs> <laughs> so john steps in he beats the shit out of the korean guy he helps his chinese guy up he takes him to the bathroom he helps him rinse his eyes out he's helping him to his car and the guy gives him his card and he says look you ever need anything you just call me and let me know he done saved the right motherfuckers. <laughs> that's that's what just happened. His life just took a whole good luck change by saving the Asian Rod Stewart. So you look at that business <laughs> card and it just says Rod Stewart impersonator. Come see me at Vegas. I'm the Asian Rod Stewart. We got a black Rod Stewart. We got a Puerto Rican Rod Stewart. It's a great show, dude. I'll get you VIP seats. Twenty seven Rod Stewarts of the world. <laughs> So, you know, like we mentioned earlier, uh, John's a proud guy, so he doesn't like taking handouts. He continues to struggle. One day, he's completely out of money. I actually read somewhere that said he had 76 cents. So he's down to his last 76 cents. That's a Damn, very that ain't even your last $2. Dollars. Yeah. <laughs> hey, if that's how poor you know, you are, you know, and not, not a handful of change. Like, no, 76 cents, dude. This is what I got. Hey, what's that song? I got some change in my pocket, and it's going jingling-ling. He was not bullshitting. <laughs> Dude, I can't even buy cheap steroids with this little, okay? So he's got no money, he's freezing, he's starving, and he says, like, I need my sister's help. So I'm going to go, I got to go find my sister. Like, she can help me out. He goes to his sister's house. He knocks on the door. She refuses to answer, and she, she slides a letter under the door that says, go away. She's in there tweaking. What? Why are you going to the tweaker's house for help? You're fucked in that point. <laughs> Just go away. Go find the soup kitchen and get your shit together for a day. Well, he does say, he says, in hindsight, I don't think she was trying to be mean. I think she was just getting in there hot. She was in there getting high. Right. And she's like, hey. I'm wh busy. Whatever. It's going to be worse in here. <laughs> However bad life is out there, you don't want to come watch these guys gangbang me for some fucking crack and shit. Would you know she's high because she took the time to write out go away instead of just say go away? So... He's in the cold, and he doesn't even have enough money to take a cab back, and he's just fucked. So he uh, he takes the change he's got left, he goes to a payphone, and he calls the number from the card that the guy gave him. So in less than 20 minutes, two BMWs loaded with Chinese gangsters arrive, saying they're there to pick him up. They're like, are you John? We're looking for a big white guy. you got to be John, right? Shit, even if I'm not John, I'm going to be John. It's fucking cold. Two BMWs pull up. I'll be John, James, and Jangleheimer Smith if you need, goddammit. Now, now I'm thinking this is child from the hangover. That's who he saved. He's like, well, I called my boy. Like, who are you guys? They're like, no, we're with him. He said, you know, I'm going to take you to him. Just come on. 
And and John legitimately said, like, I didn't have nothing to lose at that point. I'm like, you know what? All right, we'll see where this goes. What else am I going to do? That car got heat? I'm in. <laughs> right. He jumps in the BMWs. See, they did, going back to the stray dog thing, they just, like, waved some food and, like, gently got him into the car. <laughs> they, they waved some cheap steroids by the door. Like, come on. Come on. Put out their hand. Let them say, are you a good boy? Are you a good boy? They didn't even have to wave anything. They opened the door, and he just felt the heat and was like, fuck it. Uh, <laughs> hey, if I die, I'll die warm right. and not cold. Look, because I'm about to die out here anyway. <laughs> right. I'm going to freeze to death. That's an ugly, ugly way to go. Sure. I imagine he put his arms in, and then they had to help and carry him in by the waist like they do those old stray dogs when they get them in the car. That's they had to pick up, up his hind legs. <laughs> They take him back to a mansion in South Boston. It's less than twenty minutes drive away. Mm-hmm. Um, he gets to the he gets to the mansion. He described it as an Asian gangster frat house. So he said it was just filled with Chinese gangsters, beautiful Asian women. So it's all their girlfriends. They, he says they all got like tattoos and spiked haircuts and they're younger there's, dudes, but they all got guns. There's and all shit. kinds of lava lamps and black light <laughs> posters. And uh. They have a keg in the corner and a beer pong table. And at first he's kind of like, dude, what the fuck is going on? And they're like, come on, come see your boy. So the guy he ended up saving was the Americanized version of his name was John Joe. And he was a top guy in the Ping Ong, which is one of the largest Chinese gangs in Boston. And they had connections that go back to the 14K triad, which is one of the biggest. Uh, I kind of had a feeling that this was going back into the triad somehow. I really, really did. I'm like, I don't know where that connection is going to come in, but I'm like, you know, they, they showed up in 20 minutes, two black BMWs. He walks in. It's like fucking paradise compared to dealing what he's been dealing with. And yeah, something something there is going to be definitely tied in with the triads. So we've dealt with a lot of the American tongs, which are kind of like an Americanized version, just like La Costa Nostra is an Americanized version of the mafia. You know, the tongs are like an Americanized version of the triads, Mm -hmm. but they were connected to the actual triads, like the 14K triads back in Hong Kong. So this is like big time shit. And from what I understand, I could be wrong. I'm not a fact checker, but the triads were even a uh, more tighter stricter rule than like the italian mob was like oh, yeah. it was it, it was some you don't do shit without permission you don't wipe your ass without permission for certain situations yeah we'll get into that a little bit it's uh they do everything in a very specific way whether you're a shaolin monk or you're a 14k triad no, we do things say. there's rules to normal, this shit <laughs> yeah, normal chinese parents are heavily disciplined and all that so in the mafia where it's already very highly disciplined and loyal and everything i can only imagine so the first thing they do he gets in there and they're like well are you hungry and he's like fuck, fuck yeah, yeah i'm hungry <laughs> and they're like we'll get this kid some food and he's, he's towering over everybody in there he's 16 years old and he's got, and he's scared of all these guys because they all got they all, all these tattoos and guns and shit. But they're all like, "Holy shit, where's where this big white guy come from and shit?" But how did he get cool with the head yeah. motherfucker in charge? But yeah, John, John <laughs> Joe's like, "Hey, that's my boy. Get him some food, wherever you want." He gets a, uh, they give him some food and some chopsticks, and he can't work the chopsticks. So they're like, uh, "Well, somebody get him a fork." They had to go find a fork. <laughs> they couldn't. They didn't even have a fork. They're like. Where do we keep the forks? Where's the plasterware? The spork? The thing with the little the little circle with the little splines on it. <laughs> Tie four chopsticks together. I don't know. Figure something out. 
So John Joe basically seen him not only as a benefit because uh, he was fucking giant and he seen him fight. And he was like, wow. He saved his fucking life. So, you know, he does kind of owe him a debt. But on top of it, he's like, man, this kid fucking seems desperate. I think we could really get our, our hooks in here. I mean, I don't know. That's a more negative way to look at it. He might have just legitimately been like, hey, I owe this kid a debt. Right. I'm going to repay him. But either way, they feed him. He looks at his clothes. He's wearing, like, baggy jeans and a hoodie. And he said, look, he gives him 500 bucks. He says, don't go back to your job. You're with us now. And he tells his boys, he's like, hey. Go get this kid some real clothes. So take him out shopping. Get him some real clothes. They go get him like tailored suits and shit I was about like to say, that. You know he got some dope ass suits because look, you rocking with the Chinese folks now. You know they got some dope ass tailors. This kid about to be laced the fuck up. He's like, look, I was wearing like hoodies and jeans and stuff, and they were like custom tailoring me these Miami Vice suits and like fucking. He was like, well, fuck it, <laughs> you know I'll. I'll take it, you know. I guess this is my look now. Fuck this yeah, you, hey, you go from just regular ragamuffin to straighten your tie a little bit. You got, what? I'm telling you, don't let me get rich. It is going to happen <laughs> soon. I'm going to be three-piece down here, clean as shit, <laughs> whistle every time. <laughs> they get him a wardrobe and new clothes. He's got money in his pocket, and they all dig him like they all think he's a good kid you know they let him stay with him he stays there in the house and shit uh he gets to know all these guys and they start to teach him the ways of the asian underworld and they just kind of start grooming him as this enforcer and bodyguard and they realize this kid's pretty tough and he's pretty fear- fearless you know what i mean so he is tom cruise in last samurai yes yeah <laughs> And he hasn't really had, his whole life has just been fighting for fucking everything. And these people really dig him. So he's like, he's never been like accepted before. So he's like, dude, these guys are fucking awesome. Yeah, the fucking shit, I love these fucking he's guys. He's a hey, rescue dog. Going, he's overly protective of the people that saved him. They feed him. But going back to what you said, you know, maybe they were just trying to get his hooks. And I don't think so. I think, you know, him saving old boy's life. He was like, you know what? I owe this kid. Let's go ahead and educate him, train him, teach him, and give him a good life because he saved mine. I think the way that the story is being told right now, I mm-hmm. think that's actually what it is. Yeah. I, think, I mean, I could be wrong. I got to no, hear the rest of the story. No, I tend to agree. <laughs> I tend to agree. Well, I mean, it's probably a little bit of but. I mean, it sounds like he's just a cool kid. So once he's around, they just want to take care of him. Like, I keep on doing the stray dog, like, joke, but it's almost like... Yeah, he's this little, like, orphan kid that comes around. Like, you give him some food, and he's cool. He's extra loyal. So, yeah, he saved his life. That was his foot in the door. But I think they genuinely are just like, yes, yeah, cool little kid. Well, and they also, cool, like... Cool, big kid. Right, and they're like, wow, this motherfucker's giant. What the fuck? And he's like, hey, what's up, man? What do you guys need? Need me to do anything? Like, goddamn, I like this fucking kid. Yeah, I because like you got to think the kid wasn't showing any love for, you know, pretty much all of his life. And now you got these guys saying, hey, here's some suits. Here's some money. Here's some food. Hey, you know what? Let me teach you this. Let me teach you that. You sit there and take a kid that's been through a stressful life and start showing them love. Psh, man, that kid will do anything for you, you know? And you're going to see that. And you're going to appreciate that, too. A little rescue child. That's it. So uh, he shows a ton of promise, and eventually at some point they're like, look, you're for real in this life. You got some potential. We said you were with us, but you're for real with us. So what we need you to do is you got to go over to New York. We're sending you to Manhattan. You're going to stay in Chinatown there, and uh, you're going to work with these guys there for a while. And they ended up sending him to Chinatown where he stayed in a boarding house on Canal Street with basically a group of other up-and-coming prospective gangsters. Oh, so they sent him to Triad College? It's like big, <laughs> yeah, China, it's, it's yeah, big Chinatown. Of. You know, I got a feeling like there's this big-ass pot 
that he's got to pick up with his forearms to, you know, <laughs> get the two tigers on either <laughs> side. You know, like the kung fu, the old yeah, kung yeah. fu. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you got picked it up. All right, now you're in. Now we're going to teach you the rest <laughs> of the ways. He's got to go train like the bride and Kill Bill. So these pictures, one of these is the late 70s. One of them is kind of current. Okay. But they're both Canal Street, and I just wanted I put post these up there because I wanted to give you an idea. It's not just Chinatown in general. Like this is that's that's Chinatown. Yeah, that's that's like, what it is. That's the fucking strip, and this is where you know most of these crime lords, everybody else we're covering in this series. This is where they all make their bones and shit like that. So what we're gonna do? We're gonna take a real quick smoke break, refill our drinks, and we'll be back in a minute. Zero 
sand in your glass, fuck it, you can't even cry. Put a dagger to your neck just to keep yourself in check. Put a dagger to your neck just to keep yourself in check. Everybody grab a side as you fight to stay alive. Dancing on a hand grenade so you can die and they survive. Silver bullets in the sky, dropping seven second death. Scattering the children, run, rub until there's nothing left. Ashes in the water, sons and daughters hold their flags up high. Wallow in the harbor as the military tanks arrive. Penetrate the border with disorder like an animal. Every war has the honor of turning kings into cannibals. All right, we're back. We're back with some more of this uh, beer barrel New Holland. What was it called? Uh, beer barrel bourbon. Yeah. And it's just made by New Holland Brewery. Here Quick from and to the point. Holland, sure. Michigan. Yeah, that's right. Like, there's really not much to say. Beer barrel bourbon. Finishing in a beer barrel. All right. So when we left off, John Willis had got transferred over to Canal Street in New York Chinatown. Kind of to uh, learn the ropes and make his bones as a gangster. Moving on up to well, the Well, that's crazy because he really ain't did anything to make his bones. He mm-hmm. saved old boy's life, and that was it. But they'd yeah. already promoted him. He's just likable. They just like know? him? Yeah. Likeable. He's, yeah, he must be a hell of a kid. Yeah, no, nah, he finna have to do some bullshit for real. I like you. You saved my life. Here's some food. Here's the soup. Here's some money. And now we're going to move you up to college right out of goddamn middle school. And, yeah, now you, your bones are about to be. I feel his bones are about to be made. He about to kick some ass. So he gets there, and they don't like him. He didn't save their lives, and they don't know him. And he's there with all these other up-and-coming gangsters, and he's this big white kid. And these kids are all, like, immigrants, and they, you know, came from Canton or wherever. And they're like, yeah, you, you're going, you're coming from San Francisco. You're coming from this place. You got, we're sending you to college to go learn how to be gangsters. And then fucking Big Jed walks in. You're like, who the fuck is this guy? So I got the feeling like, I don't know the Asian word for white boy, but if this was a Mexican story, who the fuck let the weto mm-hmm. in and where the fuck did he come from? <laughs> we're not- well, what makes it extra bad is it's not only that he's like the one white dude that's here in the middle of fucking Chinese triad college, but he didn't even earn his way there. He has done nothing. Right. He's got like, no he's got no family that sat like, there and like, look, his dad is ahead of this. His dad is ahead of that. Your dad's ahead of this. And yo, here's this white guy. He, you got to teach him too. Because I was going to make like a, it's a weird version of like. Cuba Gooding Jr. in that diving movie where he was like the first black diver or whatever and they all didn't like him like he's the white guy there but like no Cuba Gooding Jr.'s character earned his way to diving school and all that white boy didn't do shit just some puppy that followed him home (laughs) we're sudden in New York where at first he was feeling the love there because that's his boy and those are his guys so they fucking love him he goes there and they don't fucking dig him I got a feeling there was a phone call yo who the fuck is this guy where does white kid come from why is this guy here he saved my life yeah that's still bullshit why is he here you know this is where we train our people at 
to sit there and take over our business, and you son send a kid over here that's not even your fucking kid. It's like, he saves your life. Okay, invite him to your cool parties and give him suits. Why are you sending him to us? <laughs> what the fuck is going on here? And for the record, that word is guaylo. The the weddo oh, or weddo is guaylo. Guaylo. Yo, I'm adding that to my <laughs> shit. <laughs> that's the equinsuocha. So they're Ace Ventura fans. Yo, and I mean, like that because now I can sit there and say guaylo. I hope that's the right pronunciation. It is. It is. <laughs> For sure. I got it. You really Mexican it up. <laughs> it's just ironic that you brought you brought it up because as you're saying it like, oh, I know that word. I, I do. <laughs> I've done this. I've been researching this for a month. That word is guaylo. I'm well aware. And so is John Willis. He knows for sure what that, that word means. So, yeah, they don't, they're not impressed. So when he can't use chopsticks, they just laugh at him and walk away. And they don't get him a fork. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and, you just can't eat, motherfucker. Sucks and uh, they won't speak to him in English. So they just go about their business. And he tries to speak in English. And they just but move on sense. without you him. You know, so. hey, you're in our presence you don't know our language fuck you you're here because this guy you saved his life but you know what you still ain't shit well and that's over there that's in boston this is new york and none of us really know you and i don't know you're here for something and i ain't seeing that and that's the thing you got to think you know new york is the you know hey this is where we're doing our thing you know okay yeah you're from boston they love you over there but uh basically you're coming from like elkhart indiana to detroit and want some love yeah fuck you but at the end like we keep on saying it's like triad college or whatever but like why did they send him there and and why didn't they prepare like hey this guy's ain't gonna like you because you're white and you don't even fucking speak chinese like why did they send him there yo that's a good i don't understand that the dude set him up to fail and why did he say yeah why did he say yeah, I want to go to this place that I don't know anyone, and I'm not even a real fucking gangster. Like, and I ain't got why? none of my homies here. Why is like, any of this here happening? to back me to fuck up? I think he was just pretty much a good soldier. Like he just said, well, I guess that's what they want me to do. And where else am I gonna go? I mean, I was I'm homeless. I got 76 cents and a note from my sister that says, "Go away." Like, what else? Where yeah. am I gonna go? Well, no, I mean, he has homeboy he has joe john joe there in boston like that's where he is and what are they teaching him here that old john joe can't teach him there with their own that's what i'm saying why is why Uh i don't understand they said he's gonna go there and learn how to be a gangster i think what it is is (laughs) why can't they just teach him that i don't get it john joe could be like okay i could show you everything and give you all this money or i can sit there and send you over here to where you go through this training and you can make all this money on your own. But is it real training? What are they training? It's got to be because you're learning You're learning their ways. You're learning their rules. You're learning, learning their laws. <laughs> not when they don't tell, tell them anything. Hey, now you better, hey, look, You don't know what's going on. You take a baby and you throw it in the pool, it figures out how to fucking swim. You take this, uh, I think he's 18 at this time? Yeah. Oh, he's 17. He's 17 at this time? <laughs> you gonna figure this shit out or you're not yeah. you know they're 17 they set him in new york to learn how to be an asian gangster <laughs> that is pretty fucked up but i think <laughs> it's also some type of respectful shit because he could have just been like okay we're just gonna keep him here you're just gonna be a foot soldier you're just gonna be my bodyguard you're just gonna be this low level motherfucker you know kind of like with the italian mob where you're not italian you can't be made mm-hmm. but with this guy he's like you know what i'm gonna send you over here 
like, I don't know if there's a made thing with these guys. I don't know if, you know, you got to be an Asian person to be made. But look, I'm going to send you to college. You better sink a fucking swim. We'll figure it out later. I think there's something to that. I don't know for sure, and I don't have the answer. I mean, we'll kind of cover it. Eh, you know, you could kind of take what you want out of it. But I, my kind of opinion is some of what you said and some of we talked about earlier the discipline and stuff with these organizations and how far they go. Like, you know, he's with the organization goes that goes back to the 14 K triads overseas and stuff. They're not accepting of just a whole bunch of people. So just an organization that's bringing in people from out of town to bring them up anyways. If you got some white dude that all of a sudden you're working with, for one, we're going to find that out quick, you know, cause we keep an eye on our business. And if you're saying you trust them, maybe we got to take a look. Yeah. You know what I mean? Maybe, okay, we'll take your your recommendation or whatever, your reference. We appreciate that, but let's see what he's like. He didn't save me at a bar, so I don't have this bias to it. Let me see if he really is cool I as you that. think. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you ha- he's the guy that saved you when you was Like, little. he's down for the cause for you, but yeah. we got to make sure that he's down for the cause for all of us. I mean, a cop could do that, right? Swoop in to help you one day, and now he's your best buddy. We want to take a closer look. So makes sense. Ultimately, when he got over there, the the big breaking point was kind of they would he would have to go out to the clubs because they'd all go do everything together. You know what I mean? You're with this gang, you're with the other gangsters, you're with these higher ups, and they would go to clubs, and all these other guys would be hitting on all these girls and stuff, and then they would laugh at him and look at him, and they talk to him, and he couldn't speak. You know what I mean? He'd only speak English, and he could never get no girls, and he was just there to get laughed at all the time. So then he started getting frustrated, and they were always watching, like, Chinese gangster movies. So he started watching these movies they would watch all the time and started taking, like, notes. And when they were out walking around and shit, like, he would take notes on symbols in Chinatown and listen to people talking and shit. And he's just basically... So he's trying to pick up the language. Yeah. So he ends up... developing his own Rosetta Stone. So he, (laughs) he ends up teaching himself how to speak Cantonese... With like three different dialects, just based off listening to shit and watching shit and taking notes, and he'd just stay up late, like going over his fucking like flashcards, basically that he would teach himself, and he fucking he teaches himself how to speak Cantonese, and he basically at some point just throws himself into the Asian culture. He's like, this fucking sucks. I gotta learn how to speak Cantonese, and he's 17, going to these clubs with these big time gangsters with these hot girls, and he's the only one that can't get them. I mean, that's incentive enough. You've been a horny 17-year-old boy. You know that if anything will teach you how to speak Cantonese, it's fucking that. So, yeah, he just throws himself into it. So he teaches himself how to use chopsticks. He would le- he'd listen to Chinese songs on his Walkman because they'd go karaoke. At one point, he fucking listened to his Walkman and memorized, like, word for word a Chinese song that he wanted to fucking karaoke. But, like, some of the shit, like, he, he had to learn how to uh, pour tea correctly. Like, I guess you pour it, and then you put the spout away from, like, the elders or the top guys and shit. Oh, He's, so you guys say, hey, you got to pour over the right shoulder and then yeah. turn the teapot to the left. So when he went there, he was kind of like, hey, I'm big and I'm tough, and they kind of like that and shit. And then he got there, and they're like, yeah, you act like an asshole. We don't you like don't that. know how to pour tea. Yeah. You don't he know had how to, find, to serve noodles. <laughs> he had to find out the difference between the salad chopsticks <laughs> and the entree chopsticks. You don't slurp noodles to show respect. You're fucking it up all over. He learned like uh, he learned the ins and outs of the Buddhist religion, and he always said like, "Well, I'm Catholic, but I mean, if you're in this culture, it's important to know all the aspects of the culture." So he'd actually been to, like Buddhist temples and had been like uh, had blessings from like 
Buddhist preachers and shit like that. That's actually really cool. Yeah. And uh, eventually, they just started like, you know what? He we done kinda, put his dudes We kind of like this kid. He done <laughs> took We think shit. he's pretty fucking good. And he, uh, he basically learned how to be Asian. So he learned how to speak Cantonese. He learned different dialects. He learned the songs. He learned the religion. He learned everything. See, in the movie of John Willis, that would be the kick-ass montage. Well, come on. We, we would have had to do a shopping montage earlier, right? When they fucking Oh, took... yeah. He would pop out of the dressing room with different suits on. <laughs> At one point, it would be a rhinestone cowboy suit. Just Not for laughs. Not rhinestone cowboy! Just for laughs. <laughs> yep. And then the triad guy would put his head to his forehead and shake oh, his head. Oh, serious? No. Oh, uh, you American. <laughs> and then it ends with a big thumbs up, and yep. he's got, like, the Miami Vice fucking... Yep. Don Johnson. He comes oh, out in a tuxedo with the top hat and like the fucking coattails. So this is montage too. This is the learning <laughs> to be Asian montage. It's was of him up late yeah. at night underneath his blanket with his flashlight. Yeah. So by he now he built the fort. <laughs> yep, he built the fort, learned the Cantonese, then doing push-ups, then him. Oh man, and like slipping mm-hmm. with the chopsticks for a while, <laughs> and then it goes back and it keeps on cutting back, and then by the end he's just chopsticking it up, no problem. Picking up Asian all ladies I'm at the is club. Rocky in Russia. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Using yep. chopsticks to do push-ups. Yep. <laughs> I'll get in a stronger. <laughs> so eventually they're like, yeah, we fucking like them. These guys that he kind of came up with as a gangster, he still to this day calls them his Asian brothers. He got traditional Chinese tattoos, and he's, like, probably the only white guy with Asian tattoos that's not a douche. Like, he actually knows what they mean. Yeah, he knows what his travel art is. Yeah. Well, he's got, like... don't say salt, pepper, ketchup. He's got a dragon on one arm, and then he's got, like, a fish on the other one, but, like, it all is, like, some fucking, like... You know how the Russian tattoos are, like, real specific and shit? I know. His actually doesn't say the wrong thing. So over time... He starts referring to them as Asian brothers. He gets uh, traditional Chinese tattoos. They began to refer to him as a uh, black guy, which is white ghost. Okay. And that's what his homies would call him. The other people in the neighborhood would not. They would start to call him white devil John. They kind of move him on to some more gangster shit. So in Chinatown, they gave him his first gun. They taught him how to shoot. Uh, they taught him the ins and outs of running gambling dens and massage parlors. And it consistently says massage parlors, but I feel like I know what it means when the the triads run he massage liked to parlors. Go, oh, run, yeah. He liked to go get the money from the happy ending place. <laughs> I mean, no, I got that. <laughs> but I feel like that's a job perk. You know what I mean? Like, look, I go pick up, I go pick up my boy's money. I get a rub out. Hey, you know, every fucking time, every place I go to to pick up the money, I'm getting a rub out. So, hey. I got five robots a day. <laughs> he seems to excel at it. He's he's a big boy. He's tough. He can fight. Uh, eventually, they move him into a crew that specializes in robbing gambling dens and check cashing places. Oh, so now he's going to rob other places that, you know, ain't part of their gang. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, like, first time he went and tried to rob one, he almost got shot in the head, and he's like, all right, I got to. I wasn't prepared for that. <laughs> it's kind of scary and shit. But what was weird is he started talking about, he was like, well, yeah, it's all kind of scary, but you learn how to get past it. And he started talking about, like, you know, at some point when you're getting, like, chased down the street by a Chinese gang with machetes. Yeah, it's scary at the time. But, you know, you happen so much at some point, you just kind of get used to it. And I'm like, wait a minute, hold on. Wait, did you say you could just get used to that? Because I don't think I could ever get used to Asian gangs chasing me down the street with machetes. Well, I mean, I'd that's because you've right never had that. it happen. 
I'd be all right with that because you know what they're not doing with machetes? They're not throwing them. Right. So at least if you got some wheels, can hit a couple fences, maybe, you yeah. know what I'm saying, run through a couple alleys. Hey, we did couple... always say he was big and athletic, too. Hey, maybe he right. just gets the so, hoof and know, if hey, they start trying to chase him with machetes, like, dude, I... Like, yeah, fuck you. You're not going to catch me yeah. and fuck your knife. You ever <laughs> you ever see a six-foot-two, 255-pound dude hop a fence? This motherfucker flings over. Now they call him linebacker John. <laughs> Goddamn. One step. That's, over why, that six foot that's game. why they call him White Ghost because he just goes through walls. So he becomes real good at that. At one point, they kind of started to use him as like their multi, their their muscle guy. He went into at some point he goes in to collect at a place, and they were like, "Who's this fucking piece of shit white boy think he is trying to come in here and collect from us?" Right. In Chinese, and he just answered them in Chinese, and they were like, "All right, here you go. Here's oh, the money. Here's my so bad." He hit that moment. <laughs> they were uh, like, "Oh, we didn't know you was that guy. Yo, uh, get him the money." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, White Devil John's here. You guys, get the money. He's here. Yeah, and that's when, uh, like, he kind of developed a reputation. People were scared to shit of him because he was like this, uh, this legend. He learned at some point, he said, look, instead of going in these places, it's so much easier to rob them. At some point, they bring out the money. And a lot of the Chinese gangs, they had a real thing for handcuffing themselves to the uh, briefcase. So they carry the money in the briefcase and handcuff themselves to it. And people were so afraid of him, and they were always shocked by how so big, big he was. So when they would catch him, he would come up with a machete, and he'd be like, hey, you can unlock the handcuff, or I'm going to cut your hand off. And they would just cuff, they would just cough up the money all the time. Can we get that case of money? He's like, yeah, you know what? No My bad. Problem. Yo, I, can I don't even want to be a gangster. I no more. the handcuff to the briefcase really just for sure. It means absolutely nothing. Yeah, I'm so I'll still just give. Yeah, it to I'm you. just good. Yeah, yeah, see, I give him points though for the simple fact that he was polite enough to be like, look, we can do this the easy way or the hard way. Which one you want to do? Because you know, <laughs> it would look, be a lot cooler if he just ran up to yeah. yeah he just didn't hey, give us. He chance. would earn points there because he'd be like, "I ain't asking shit." What, yo, <laughs> boss? You got a hand with this briefcase. It was connected. Well, I mean, well, it's probably a lot easier on him to just. Yeah, I ain't asking no fucking question. I'm gonna just chop your <laughs> shit off and yo, we out. I think it could be assumed if at some point they start unhandcuffing when he shows up, he probably. Cut a couple took a off. couple hands off to make people say like, "Hey, look, he's not the, bullshit." Look, the white ghosts don't fuck around. <laughs> he, he will cut you. He he's will the cut bear you Jew. Shit off. <laughs> he's the bear Jew. Yeah, he's the bear Jew of Chinatown and shit. Where they're like, "Oh, do you know who I am?" Yeah, you're the white devil. You're here to cut my hand off. Here's your briefcase. <laughs> it seems. To, <laughs> it seems to be a style. At one point, he said, "Don't ask if you ever committed a murder." He said, "I've never been convicted of any murders." Well, I was about to say to that point, and this is something like the Asian gangs really keep that uh, no snitching thing like for real. Because so far we haven't heard anything that's real straw of him like proving himself. We're yeah, assuming he ain't made, that he ain't made his bones at yeah, all. Like we're assuming like yeah, he probably has taken off a couple hands, but we're not hearing about it. We're assuming he's probably had to really fuck a few people up, but we're not hearing about it. As of right now, he does have that legend of being the white devil, this the white ghost, but we haven't heard what the fuck he did to all we heard is like 
yeah, it turns out he learned the language and figured out chopsticks, so now they like him. But I'm sure he has fucked people up, it's just they are extremely tight-lipped about their shit. Yeah, there's nothing in the story about it. It's pretty much like, he's the collector, the collector shows up, you know, to give mm-hmm. it to him, and that's it. He's he's not had any bodies, he's not blown anybody's head he's off. Like he's like sol- the the winter soldier. Yeah, he you just shows up, hey, look, you don't fuck with this guy, you just give him whatever the fuck he asked for. So he puts in a lot of work. He becomes like a top guy in New York. And at some point in 1990, Boston calls him back. But after being in Manhattan for a while, he comes back to Boston. Everything seems like real slow. And he shows up and they're like real surprised, like at how much he embraced the culture. But like, what the fuck did they think was going to happen? I don't know. Well, yeah, you take a, 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 a white shirt. And dunk it in red dye. It's, it's a red a... fucking shirt. <laughs> well, I think what happened was he was overconfident and then he was unconfident. But by the time he went back to him, it kind of almost seemed like small time again. So they end up putting him with a guy named uh, Bai Ming, who was like, he was kind of a mid-tier guy. Like he was a guy that had some clout, but he wasn't like a top guy. So they just kind of put him with him and he puts him on as like his uh, driver and enforcer. And then it turns out the reason that they had brought him back up was it turned out there's about to be like a big war. So there was like a Boston Chinatown massacre where they walked up into this uh, bar and they killed five out of seven people. The seventh guy probably was the one that opened, left the door open so that they could come in to kill everybody. Right. And uh, it was like real chaos. He was the driver and bodyguard. His job was to check for bombs in his car before he started it every time. <laughs> so I don't know if that means start it and see if it blows up or actually... Like, crawl up underneath it with a flashlight yeah, and be like, yeah, no, nah, nothing's underneath the plate. You're well, good. Well, I mean, it's probably a little bit of both. It's just how good he crawls around looking for that bomb depends on, like, how confident he is when he turns that uh, key. But he's probably doing a little bit of... If he wants to risk it, he might just hop in there and turn the key without looking around first. Well, Bai Ming loves him, so he just came back from, you know, real he came, time. He came back from the show back to AAA ball. Right. So he's like, he's bringing my Ming his tea and he puts the spout on the right side and then he checks for bombs in his car and he's like, dude, this guy's the fucking shit, you know? And uh, this big war makes out, you know, breaks out and these guys are dying left to right, but you know who doesn't die because they got a sweet ass fucking bodyguard? It's by Ming. Right? So this whole thing shakes out and when it's all kind of said and done, he's like the last man standing and he becomes kind of like the new de facto number two of the family just by the sake of attrition and by he's, he's forrest gump after that a hurricane happened and now bubba gump is the only boat left yeah and they're just pulling in shrimp so now by ming's this top guy and his right hand man is fucking john willis so now he's one of the top triads in america and you know they go check back in chinatown and these guys fucking love him so he's like yeah i guess He's, he's part of our family now. I guess this motherfucker's a gangster and shit, you know? Yeah, and he's, uh, he's the white dude invited to the cookout. His status with gang soars. Uh, he does a couple short stints for extortion. In 2005, he was sentenced to five years for heroin trafficking. And when he's in prison, he meets a ton of connections. So he meets a bunch of guys. Yeah, he done saved a motherfucker's life. He done became the new motherfucker's head in charge, fucking lieutenant. So yeah, hey, take care of this kid. Yeah. Well, we said a hundred If I uh, think him going to Canal Street was college, like prison is criminal college. 
Especially in prison, if he's the white guy hanging out with the triads in prison, it's a pretty big deal because race crossing is not that popular. In the yeah, that's not a friendly thing you do. So, you know, if he went in there and got that, he was already seasoned up. Like, look, the this Aryan- guy's coming in. This is who you take care of. The, Ari- the Aryan brother was like, what the fuck's going on here? How the fuck this kid come in here and he's got high status over here? (laughs) Hey, how's the top recruit going over with the uh, Asian squad and shit? Where the fuck he learned to pour tea like that? Well, see, I think uh, normally prison is like college for the gangsters, but he already went to college, so now he's like going for his master's. You know what I'm saying? He's getting a doctorate. (laughs) I like the doctorate. (laughs) Like, no, I'm a gangster's gangster. At one point, they asked him, like, did you still get to speak speak Chinese? And he's like, yeah, there's other Asian guys in here. (laughs) What do you mean? (laughs) You're not Asian, dude. There's not other Asian. I've got my master's. I've got my doctorate. Uh, what they call it when the uh, professors can do whatever the fuck tenure. they want. Yeah. Tenure. I've got, got tenure, tenure around this bitch before I even got to jail. <laughs> so uh, he does it. He does his five years. He gets out. Uh, Bai Ming tells him, like, look, we're moving away from drugs. You know what I mean? So he says we're moving away from drugs, but he's also like, you know what? You don't got to be my driver and bodyguard. You can do your own thing. Like, kind of a promotion. Like, hey, we're still... The way I can get my own group together or, you know... So he, he kind of started running his own operations. He would work for Bai Ming, but he was, uh, instead of just driving for him, he'd kind of run his own little schemes and operations on the okay. side. A lot of extortion. He worked at a lot of clubs and stuff like that. After his release, he meets a 19-year-old Vietnamese immigrant named An Gwen, who had just had a daughter. And uh, one of the funniest stories was uh, that, that girl, when she first met him, and he was 13 years older then, so she was 19, and he was... 32 which is a little creepy but uh she said the first things i ever said to him he started hitting on me he's like oh what another white guy with an asian fetish <laughs> and i was just thinking like yeah kind of yeah but not like i have a weirder like, asian i got fetish. a whole background over here <laughs> that you don't know about <laughs> That's an I've oversimplification been, i've been training in this shit for 17 years now <laughs> Look, you're only 19. Yeah. I'm almost more Asian than you. is isn't a fetish. It's full-on appropriation. Don't be weird. So at one point, she's kind of blowing him off. And then uh, she seen him at a club one time. He was working with some bouncers he used to know and shit. And he was just bullshitting. And uh, some shit started going on. And he started speaking in Chinese. And she was like, hey, what do you, why do you speak Chinese and shit? And then like at some point, she kind of was like, wow, he's like really into... Asian culture and shit. So she starts to dig him. He falls madly in love uh, with her and they start dating. He kind of, they never got married, but he kind of adopted his daughter or her daughter is like his daughter. Like he just started taking care of him and shit. Man, it's really crazy. Him just learning Cantonese is really going a long way. Like yeah. if you're a white guy that can just speak some Cantonese, they will fucking love you. That's all you need. Most cultures do appreciate if you try to learn their language, though. Like, people, even if you're not good at it, even if you're just trying, most people will accept that to some extent. Hit on an Asian chick? No, this is just a fetish. Speak some Cantonese? Oh, now I'll fuck you. She's not even Cantonese. She's Vietnamese, too. Yeah. It's not even the right language. Hey, there's some things you... There's some things you can read that say that. That is not how that shit works. (laughs) Have you listened to the story? I'm listening to the story. It is how it worked. No, but see, that's what you don't get about that culture. She was single and a mom. 
So she was lucky to catch up with him. And she didn't even know it. Then she found out that he actually sat there and knew her language. She was like, all right, you know what? Part of the gang, he knows the language. I've got a daughter. I'm a single mom. So basically, I'm a whore in everybody's eyes. So, you know what? Let me go ahead and roll with this guy because he's actually going to take care of my daughter. (laughs) Am I wrong? No. I think, okay, the second he saved that guy, you said, oh, he saved the right motherfucker this day. Well, she got hit on by the right motherfucker that day. There you you know what? (laughs) I don't know. You're a little old and you're white, but. You're a little old and you're white. She said, oh, and I seen him speaking uh, Cantonese. No, you seen him telling the bouncers what to do and acting like a boss, and you're like, oh, wait, this motherfucker is he got he got, some, he got some motherfucking pool. So he, he brings on a family, and he decides he wants to start bringing in some money. And he had made some of his connections in prison. He had found these guys from Florida that had, like, a link to oxycodone. He reaches out to fucking... Uh, you know, his boys in Florida, and he's like, hey, I live in Massachusetts where people do that shit. So he reaches out to some of his old buddies from Dorchester, and he says, can you guys set up a distribution operation? And Ming told him to stay out of the drug trade, but he was like, well, I've been doing this a long time, and you said I could kind of set up a side business, so it's not your fault. You know, I'm just going to do it on the side. You get some money. You don't got to worry about it. Plausible deniability is what his what he was thinking. All right. I know you have to say no drugs, but I got this good thing and i'm just gonna do it i'm hearing good fellas is what i'm hearing yeah i was about to say he's henry hill in the fuck out of this he's henry hill in he's it. like look you can sell your drugs in prison when we get out <laughs> you don't do that that's all i'm hearing right there so they set up a chain of like doctors that could sign it off and shit and they get thousands of pills they put them in vitamin multivitamin bottles and shit and they'd send them the plane he had like all kinds of distribution so like every shipment he would send one by plane and one by truck and hopefully they both make it and then you have extra but if not nothing at least one makes it so he had like this whole fucking system set up this don't put all your pills in one basket i was gonna say this motherfucker said. pulled a paul revere if yep. it was two by if it was two by lantern <laughs> they were coming by sea if it was two by torch they were coming by land we got some pills coming. You know what I mean? <laughs> one way or the other. Oh, you missed that one. We got another one coming. They catch this one, Abe. They didn't catch that one. So he's getting both ends. So he's getting them from scratch. But then in Massachusetts, he run, he's running the, the distribution end, too. From sure. farm to table. You know? <laughs> it's yeah. all in-house. But old Paulie Ling's going to be pissed when he finds out what mm. old John Hill's been up to. Well, and, uh, he's running the whole operation out of a waterfront mansion in Pompano Beach, Florida. So here's his mansion. Well, this is his first mansion. It was a very yellow house. Yeah. Well, let's. So uh, wait, he's moving all of the dope out of the mansion. Well, that was like his base operations. So I don't. But I can get that because you know what? You got the water right here, so you can send a boat that way. You can send a boat that way. I mean. Then well, and then he had another. Uh, he had a spot in Dorchester. He's still in Dorchester, but he's in a nicer neighborhood. But he had a big house there. So he starts bringing in millions a year. He just spends it. He spends it on his wife and his daughter. He spent, you know, he just fucking... Good family, man. Anything you want and shit. But then he's, like, he buy well, motorcycle speedboats, a Porsche, a Hummer, a Bentley, a nightclub, and a second mansion on the ocean. A second. Like, well, I mean, I got a mansion on the ocean. I want... He's got I a want nightclub. A better That's one an on the investment. Ocean, I mean, you know, I don't hear no bad buys. That's my work mansion on the ocean. I want a, I want a personal mansion on the ocean, too. 
The problem is Ming was right, and they should have stayed out of drugs. They always had him on the radar, but they never thought much about him because they just seemed he had like thought he had to be like a low level associate because they're like, well, the Chinese don't fuck with white guys, and there's this white guy, so it can't be up to much. So he was always like, ah, whatever. He was like persona non grata. They literally legitimately didn't give a fuck about him. See, he's I in would there. Think- he's <laughs> hanging with him all the time. We see him with him all the time. He's the bodyguard. He's a servant. Yeah. He's a fucking car guy. They don't do crime with yeah, fucking white know, guys, hey. so he's cool. See, I would just, yeah, I would be like. The fuck is this white dude doing with the triad? What's going on here? We should look into this. Well, I would think he's washing their fucking cars. Not if he has like five fucking mansions. That's how you're gonna see it. Whether it's a white guy with a bunch of black dudes, a white guy with a bunch of Mexicans, a white back, a white guy with a bunch of Asians. This white guy is here because he's fucking serving a purpose, but he's not the head motherfucker in charge. See, that's a bad. So he's got five fucking mansions. I would be on him. Well, they should have, but they didn't. That hey, we put it in John's name, but it's not John's <laughs> shit. <laughs> I got everything in my white boy's name. That's right. <laughs> so, in 2010, they picked him up on surveillance during a drug operation. All of his mob shit with the 14K had went under the radar, and then one day he was doing some drug shit, and it was marijuana. So he fucking was doing like a... <laughs> It's some low-level drug shit, and he's out there selling it, and uh, they picked him up on surveillance, and they started looking at him, and they're like, hey, wait, they're like doing gambling and prostitutes. This motherfucker's selling weed. $40 million. Well, they picked him up on the weed, and then they started looking, and they're like, hey, he's slinging pills from Florida to fucking Massachusetts. Right you know what I mean? And he's coast. fucking... So he would get he could get pills at 9 bucks and sell them at 15 and he'd do like hundreds of thousands of pills at a time. You know? Okay. So... He's a fucking yeah, making, nice turnover rate. Yeah. So they're like, hey, wait a minute. We're wasting all this time following fucking by Mingham round. This motherfucker's he's getting 30 percent off every hand job that they give at the massage parlor. In the meantime, this fucking white dude's slinging pills from Florida to Massachusetts. Let's just move that shit over to him. OK, wait a minute. I got to ask. Is that a legit number? 30 oh. percent <laughs> off of a hand job? If you own a brothel, you're getting a percentage of every hand job done there, right? So he's running massage parlors. He gets well, who a cut. came up with 30% of a hand? I'm just guessing. I, don't, I, I haven't no, run a lot of brothels okay, lately. Wait, I, don't, wait. I mean, maybe it's moved to 37. Okay, I'm guessing 30. It's 30% of a hand job? I want to know these numbers now. Because 30% of a hand job, that sounds kind of high. What percentage are you thinking, David? What percentage are you For a hand job, at least you get 15% because it's like low work, low effort. All right. So I want to know what the other percentages were. Well, no, I, I'm talking about the percentage he gets. So he's getting very, he's not doing any work, right? right. So I think the more work they put in, they should get more of. What kind of pimping you been doing? Equal rights for <laughs> prostitutes. All right? I guess I'm a terrible pimp. You really are. <laughs> you give me 70% for a hand job? That's well, no. bad math. Fair well, no. pay for fair work. <laughs> Overhead. I mean, we got this fucking place. You know, we got how much yeah, percentage? No, see, no, how much percentage does he get for overhead? How much percentage see, is that? He was supposed to get 70% of the hand job money. Your math did not add up. Well, what I'm a, <laughs> I, look, I'm forward thinking. Like I said, overhead, you got to play employees. Like you got a mama son, right? She gets a piece. That's of that. why you get seventy percent. Mama son only gets two and a half. Yeah, the, the person that gave <laughs> the person that gave a hand job, they barely get. They get a room. They to get sleep one point three. They get, they get a plate of hot noodles. 
any so, fans out there, if you're a brothel accountant, <laughs> let us know. Feel free. What, right in the going right. What is the typical percentage of a hand job? <laughs> At the top end. You know what I mean? We're talking. We, I, I need to know our kickups. So he starts getting pressure on him. He knows he's getting investigated. At one point, he gets arrested in South Carolina without his. Well, he gets pulled over without his license, and he knows he's fucked. And then they just let him go. And he's like, something's going on. You know, so he starts talking to his old lady. Now, I forgot to leave. I left this out. At one point when he started dating his, this girl, she really, she kind of fell for him. And she's like, yeah, I like this guy. They started dating. But a couple months into it, she was like, hey, something seems up. Like, what is it you do for a living? And she was, and he was like, well, I'm a gangster. And she said, well, look, so moving forward, I don't want to hear anything about anything that you ever have to do. He starts realizing he has a feeling he's getting investigated. He starts getting real paranoid. At one point, he tells his wife, he's like, you know what? I think I, I kind of want to go straight, but I honestly have, like, no path to do that. Like, I don't know what else to do. Sure. Yeah, I've kind of been doing this since I was 16. Like, I, I'm legitimately a broken human. Like, yeah, I'd exactly. like to be a good guy, but uh, I don't know. <clears throat> but no, I get that, you know, because you sit there and you get infused into a life that he was never a bad kid. Mm-hmm. He was just in a bad situation. He got shown love from people that were into gangster shit. So there's nothing else that he knows. All right, I just got to be a gangster. 2011, Mylene, that's the name of uh, his stepdaughter. So they were like, well, look, we're figuring it out. We're going to throw this big, it's her birthday, it's her ninth birthday. We're going to throw this big party. He was in town from Florida, so he'd been traveling a lot. She went and picked him up. When he got home, they had the daughter come uh, sleep up in the bed with them that night because she was excited to see him. And he got in late, and they're like, hey, right. just come stay with us and shit. And they got woke up in the morning to the cops banging on the door. As soon as he heard it, he knew. So he told his old lady and the kid, he's like, hey, stay in here. Don't come out no matter what happens. Yeah, I know just, what's going down. Hey, uh, I'm, about to be, I'm about to get my <laughs> fancy new bracelet. Right. You're just going to go have a good party. He told his daughter he has to go back to Florida. And uh, he went down and got arrested by the cops. Uh, it was on the morning of her ninth birthday. He ends up getting charged with... Uh, distribution and basically conspiracy and uh, racketeering charges on setting up a interstate pill operation. You know, yeah. it's drugs. All yeah. the charges, yeah. he, all the things. He gets but, charged for doing the things that he did. Yes. But no, you know, at that, <laughs> all at, of at that time, Every single one. Um, all of the stuff. There was actually doctors that were getting paid off of pushing Oxycontin real bad. So, you know, it actually, he probably got them trumped up charges for moving it from state to state because of actually what doctors were doing at that time. Well, that's around the time that they did the big crackdown on all prescription drugs, especially Oxycontin and Oxycodone and shit. There was that big thing where doctors were going to jail. They, they were, were yeah, they were everyone. they were writing fucking prescriptions for like fucking five hundred pills a month. Yeah. The doctors were making all this money for make uh, for moving the oxycodone. And that's what, like you said, they were fucking busting doctors. Were it like, was like yeah. that weird thing where the government all of a sudden was like, wait, people are just buying and selling these on the black market, and mm-hmm. people are just getting high in Odin. No. <laughs> when really it's just they want their cut of the money. That's what it is. You get busted. Hey, hey, if yeah, you you're cut not the sneaking around out. selling our yeah. drugs. Well, that's, see, our that, money. that's why weed became such a bad thing, quotation marks, was because they couldn't fucking tax it. You can grow yeah. weed any fucking where. That's all you it know? is. But now they sat there and was like, you know what? Let's let the people open up stores to sell weed and we collect all this fucking income off of it. So that's yeah. why weed ain't a bad thing no more. 
So uh, he fought it in trial, but in August of 2013, Willis was convicted of drug trafficking and money laundering and sentenced to 20 years in prison. Uh, Bai Ming actually stuck with him and helped him out, even though he told him not to sell drugs and he sold drugs anyways. Like he still uh, helped him with his his defense fund and and shit. shit, And then still made sure that all the Asian gangsters backed him when he got convicted. He's like, all right, we told him not to do that, but he still ain't said shit about anything (laughs) we sent him to do. So you know what? Look out for the kid. Well, and uh, it does seem like John Willis was offered uh, leniency on his drug charges to snitch on the triad. And he's like, I'll just do 20 fucking years in fucking prison. Well, let's yeah. see. What's he at? Federal what, prison. 32, 33 at this time? Well, yeah. no, there's 2011. Well, 2011. What is that? He's 40. born in 71. 40. Yeah, 40, so exactly. 40. You know what? I'll take get my chance doing these 20 years. I'll be 60, and I don't have the triads trying to kill me in prison. Yeah, fuck you. I ain't saying shit. Well, you can yeah. still be alive at 60, right? I mean, Oh, fuck okay. yeah. Easily. <laughs> I, can, I, can do, I can do till 60. I can come out and get a job at McDonald's. Maybe, hopefully, maybe get a little part of Social Security, you know. As you say 60, that's still a couple of years from yeah. you even have to get Social And then what Security. is it, 65 for Social 62, Security? 62, I thought. Is it? Like, something like that. I don't I know. I know they readjusted the like, shit. Like, hey, I, I, I do talk. Look, I can get out alive. Yeah. <laughs> Look, I got, if I did have a better, be taken care of, and got a better chance of getting out alive if I don't re- fucking rest. Right. Well, and while I'm gone, you got the old lady and the kid. All right. Yeah. I can do it. Fuck it. I guess it looks like I'm doing 20. So, uh, John Willis is still currently doing 20 year sentence in Captain U.S. Federal Prison. And still stuck yeah. by it. He ain't said a damn word, has he? No. He's done like interviews because they're trying to do a movie about him. So he's done, like, uh, interviews and shit like that. Because I did, like, a thing in Rolling Stones on him. He's working on selling his movie. But that's why it's weird. He's really candid about anything he's ever been convicted of. Like, like when you ask him. I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Like, I don't know. You're you're coming up in a world where everybody's killing each other. Did you ever kill anybody? Like, well, I've never been convicted of killing anybody. I don't want you to write a bad movie, but I'm saying. Did you do this for the triad? I don't even know who the fuck the triad is. Yeah. I, what are we talking about? I don't even know. Like, I know that you can get money by telling them you'll cut off their hand with a machete. How do you know that? I'm just saying. It was a story that I heard. So that's the story of John Willis. So say goodnight to the bad guy. Go on. The last time you're going to see a bad guy like this again, let me tell you. All right, so you guys haven't seen the picture. I know who will play this guy. Okay. It was this hillbilly movie. I like it, it already. No, right. this this guy, he's played a whole, he played Bane. Oh, Tom Hardy. What was the hillbilly movie that he did? Oh, it Lawless. Was Lawless. Lawless, yes. I feel that dude mm-hmm. would be that guy. He was a great big brother. He was fucking. He's uh, great dude, everything. He was, He's my, great. my favorite. And Lawless, he was just. He took bullets and was like, plop, plop, shot a motherfucker, get little brother in the truck, and come on, let's go get him. Hey, I mean, uh, that movie was so fucking amazing. And watch man. Lawless, because that's a, a future cover. We're going to cover that guy on the podcast oh, at some point. Yeah, oh, for sure. So go rewatch it. I definitely want to be on that one. The best line is when he says, have you met Howard? And his brother comes stomping through the building and beats the shit out of both of them. And then he has to go hand them their guns back and shit. Well, here's your gun. Now you go on ahead about your day. But I just love how calm he is when he says, 
Have you met Howard? Me, I think I would just go classic Mark Wahlberg. Fuck it, why fuck with a different thing? He can just play this dude. So this is young John Willis. So this is when he was growing up. Like So this is chubby him. This is when he was 16. We got them cheap steroids. Yo, you know what? I said one thing, but I've got to go fucking... Um... No, I'm seeing Tom Cruise. Oh, he Cruise. does look like Tom Cruise. I'm seeing little... Tom Cruise when he slides through uh, in his drawers with the shirt. What was <laughs> Risky the movie? Business? Risky business. Yeah, that's what I'm seeing. Yeah, he does. I hear? I don't see it. You don't see it? We're just I gonna... see way more Mark Wahlberg than I do Tom Cruise. I don't know. I see Tom Cruise in this picture over here with his mom. I'm guessing that's his mom. Well, here, Yeah, that's his mom. So I got some more pictures. So this is him with his... Uh... Old lady and okay, well, he definitely went back to being a little chunkier. Okay, you know what? I see an old Mexican homeboy that I know right there. <laughs> I mean, that's definitely in Florida. Yeah, you know, he got a nice tan going on. And this is uh, a prison picture of him. So I think now there's another big guy at the end there, but uh, I think the picture kind of shows why he probably was popular with him early on and shit. There's like. Oh, yeah, you're way bigger than all these guys. Yeah, I mean, in this picture, like, someone like Vincent D'Onofrio should play him, like, just a bigger white dude. So now we got to do the DEFCON scale. So standard DEFCON scale is 5 to 1. 5 being the lowest, 1 being the highest. But the Bad Guy podcast, there's no good guys. So 5 would be Lee Murray, who's your drug dealing, bank robbing kidnapper. And at 1, you got the Purple Gang, who's got multiple gang wars, multiple massacres, and they're killing people on the streets. So on a scale of Lee Murray to the Purple Gang, where would you rate John Willis? I mean, I honestly don't know because we mentioned it during the podcast that a lot of this shit, we sort of just get the general trajectory of him, but we don't really hear too much about his specific stuff. I mean, on what we hear, I would just say a five because we're not hearing a whole lot of violence. We're not hearing him having a violent streak. In fact, we hear a lot of him not wanting to be violent, but at the same time, he was a legit enforcer, and he was in the thick of it, so you know there was some shit that went down, but because, I mean, as much as there is the whole keep your mouth shut omerta thing and the Italian mob, Mm -hmm. these Asian mafia people, they put that to a whole nother level, so we don't get a whole lot of specifics about what he's done. Like I said, hearing on just what we've heard or whatever would only be like a five because he really just was a standard mafia guy and like ran businesses but just because i know that he definitely had have gotten to a few moth or uh, machete fights he had have gotten into some shit i'm gonna say four kind of by default i would even say three but i don't know we haven't heard a whole lot a whole lot about i'm gonna just say four that would be my my take i got that for me i would go five because just like dan said there was nothing spoke on what he actually did but the reason i'm gonna give him a four is because of the og move that he pulled on his daughter's birthday and said hey i gotta go back to florida you guys go ahead and and take care of the party and just like you said, there you know, there was nothing spoke of what he actually did. There was no violence, there was no murders, there was no I mean the Robins of sitting there, hey, you're gonna give up that briefcase. Yeah. 
or you're going to lose your fucking hand. So obviously he did something, but I give him a four out of just respect. But honestly, he's really a five, but I give him a four out of respect. Like one thing I agree with that, because, yeah, you might have took a couple hands, but it just shows that you're not that guy that you're willing to give him the choice. Like, look, I I got to get paid. I got shit to do. He, so he, I'm, gonna, I'm taking this money. How do you want to do this? Because we've covered guys that won't give you the option. They're just taking the fucking hand every time, right? So I think you got a guy that's willing to go the limit, and he's a guy that really never had much of a shot at a lot. So these opportunities mean a lot. And he went from blanket forts to five mansions. <laughs> right. So if you need me to chop this hand off, like, well, I really don't want to, but fuck. And <clears throat> information covering these guys, it's always a lot less information when you're covering people that are still alive. So you look at Lee Murray, you look at this guy, guys that are uh, still in prison, Joey Merlino, who is now back out and shit like that, like. There's not as much information because no, if you talk about that now, it's snitching because they're just well, still see, alive or whatever. That's... Versus like uh, Al Capone, that's a hundred years ago. You can go ahead and say, yeah, well, he shot this guy on this day. Who gives a fuck? It's all done and everybody's dead, so it doesn't fucking matter, you know. But... Well, see, that's the other part that you know you got to give him for for the respect part that he actually sat there and came from his family, joined another family, learned that family learned that family's game, respected all of that family's rules, got told you can go do what you want to do, and just because he sat there and played their game, they took care of him. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I see a four for him. I hey, just do. And what other thing that he said that was kind of badass is this is so, you know, at some point you're probably going to get out of prison. What are your plans? What do you do? And he was like, uh, he said, well, I don't want to be a criminal, but he said, uh, but how do you take a tiger out of the jungle? Like, so yeah, we'll call that a unanimous DEFCON 4. They're moving in. I say we go to DEFCON 4. All right, before we go, you guys got anything? Seeing that now I know this dude's still alive. If I said anything disrespectful, <laughs> my bad, Holmes. I'm just playing around. You know, if you need something on his books, I'll drop five bucks on it. Uh, second thing, support your lo local businesses. Support your local people. Love being on the show again. Love being show. Love to be on the show again. I uh I appreciate you having you on and shit. And the Jim Miller episode, it was a uh, it was a great episode and shit. Fucking. Well, you guys both like the Cowboys. You know, and that's the thing. I can sit there. Anything that you pull up for me to come on, I'm more than willing to be down to do it. But the Jim Miller was definitely dope. Or, we or, sounded amazing. He <laughs> <laughs> was I. Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> D and D, son. D and D, back at you. Look, uh, my research, I stand by that shit like seventy six percent. So it was all right. I'm not writing encyclopedias. I'm telling stories. You know what I'm saying? There you like, go. <laughs> One thing I will say, if uh, your women's listenership goes up, I need a profit. <laughs> Like 30%. <laughs> I was thinking more 45, but we'll go with 30. I ain't trying to break the bank. I'm just trying to get my little piece. Just trying to wet my beak. That's all. Just trying to wet my beak. <laughs> all right. Well, this is Say Hello to the Bad Guy. Thanks for coming, and thanks for listening.
Yeah. Say hello to the bad guy. Bad guy. The good guy coming last place. Last place. Smell that dope when I pass by. Pass by. I let my money at a fast pace. Say hello to the bad guy. Bad guy. Spent my birthdays in the trap, we had to work with what we had She been working on a raise while trying to raise me like a man Plus my daddy in the box and all my cousins in the cam And I don't need a hundred friends, I just want a hundred bands A hundred jugs, a hundred scams, ay, ay. So I don't money grabbed a hundred hams Said I don't money grabbed a bunch of bands And I ain't wanna fall victim to that system or the pistols Fuck a judge with a grudge, I'm blowing crud for my mental life Ay, and I still keep it on me, run into your big homie, first you meet your dead homie, ay, yeah. Say hello to the bad guy, bad guy. the good guy coming last place. Last place. Smell that dope when I pass by. Pass by. I let my money at a fast pace. Say hello to the bad guy. Bye. Bye. 